Uh, so Ted was referring to the trip I just took to Sacramento, um, and uh, we. It was an interesting, very interesting trip. Um, it, it originated with uh, just going up to equip pastors to understand their civic responsibility, and and then it uh, culminated after meeting um, uh, Kevin McGarry, the president of the Frederick Douglass Foundation, um, and and he was doing a press conference up there, um, and the idea is, you know, one of the things that that the the pastors are very sympathetic to is the culture in which we live, that there are, are folks that are struggling because the entire congregation has, I mean, we're all struggling, right, in some way, shape, or form. So um, you, you want to approach it, and what we're looking at is the constructs of a compact, which is a constitution that we all agree to, and as citizens, we abide by. Well, the the Article 1, Section 2, and Article 1, Section 4 of the California Constitution, in addition to Article 1, or excuse me, uh, of the 27 amendments, you have the First Amendment and the 14th Amendment, AB 2943 is a violation of those. In in a constitutional republic, regardless of, of what your desire is, your sexual preferences, exist in the community. But the idea is there are people on the face of the earth, and they can be dismissed or however it is, and we had testimony of them, where they were in a same-sex relationship and came out of the same-sex relationship through counseling. And so AB 2943 allows you to go into a same-sex relationship, but you're not allowed to receive counsel to come out of a same-sex relationship. And that's a violation of, like I said, Article 1, Section 2, Article 1, Section 4, uh, this is the freedom of speech. These are these are absolutely necessary um, in in relation to abiding by a constitution that every public official swore to uphold. So we went up there to defend for religious liberty, freedom of speech, to address those issues. I mean, basically, the law is written in such a way, and people say, "Oh, you're way out of out of line." You, that's what an attorney does. You read and you see the extent of what will occur. And um, you know, when the scripture says, "Such were some of you." Uh, that is a violation, in essence, of 2943. So even the scriptures itself are, and it's a commerce clause that you can't, you can't receive remuneration, you can't receive payment. Um, so if you're a, a speaker and you're addressing these issues and you receive an honorarium, you're in violation of 2943. And it's going to go to the Supreme Court. It will be tested. ADF was up there. The attorneys were filling the place. And we were giving a press conference. So uh, our assembly member, Jackie Irwin, she sits on the uh, committee that uh, uh, researched it and had testimony. And they brought in counselors. Now, they, they talk about this this idea of shock treatment and the things. That doesn't exist in California. So you have these very classically trained, solid counselors, high educations, doctorates from major universities who were testifying, and not one question uh, came from the council, the, the assembly members that stood, stood on this investigative committee. It was just railroaded through. And it is, it is, it's not so much the issue itself of, of what we're dealing with. It is the fact that it's a violation of constitutional right. And so uh, we went up there, and we did a press conference, and uh, we educated the pastors in relation to it, and... Uh, uh, it was intense, and the day that we had folks come up to share that were testifying that come out of the same-sex relationships, 
Uh, first of all, many in the community just dismiss it, saying that they're suppressing their feelings and on and on. And the reality is we're going to see tonight that as Christians, we're in conflict of suppression of our, of our desires. I mean, that's, that's, that's the Christian walk. You know, the Apostle Paul says, those things I want to do, I don't do those. And those things I don't want to do, those I do, O wretched man that I am, who deliver me from this body of death. <clears throat> that is the Christian life, conflict. Suppression of, you know, and what we talk about, this idea of what is the law, the wise restraints that make men free. Applying restraints towards evil in order to pursue excellence, to seek that. So you can be saved by grace through faith. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You can be saved by grace through faith. God, uh, God justifies you just as if I'd never sinned. He takes care of your sin, past, present, and future, right? We have our get-out-of-hell-free card. He has been placed in the Father's hand. No man can remove. I've told you this, that you might know that you have life, that you have eternal life, yes? And can you lose it? No, because if you could lose it, it was never eternal to begin with. Okay. Everyone's tracking me on that. But he doesn't save us to leave us. There's also the sanctification side of the Christian walk. And we're going to see this in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and also a little bit beginning in chapter 3 where you have a church that Paul spent a year and a half presenting the gospel to this church in Corinth, right? And he pours into them the scriptures. And this is a man who had large swaths of the Old Testament memorized. He spoke multiple languages, would have the equivalent of doctorate degrees. And here he is spending a year and a half discipling and training them. He goes away, and now he's in Ephesus writing this letter, having heard about the church that you have a man sleeping with his uh, father's wife, you have drunkenness at the communion table, you have members of the congregation suing one another, there's strife and division, the church is imploding, and we know what Corinth is like. It's an awful city, a thousand temple prostitutes coming down from the temple, and these aren't just traveling prostitutes that you know make the circuit, these are uh, women and daughters, wives and daughters of, of residents of Corinth that are required to supplement the income at the temple of Aphrodite, and they have to go down and ply their trade with all of the uh, the, the merchants that come in and out of the city. So this city is, is really messed up, and Paul plants a church there, disciples it for a year and a half, and now as he goes away, he's getting word that this thing is just imploding. So he writes this letter, this epistle, to the church at Corinth, and we went through it, and we'll, we'll do a refresher in the beginning. But what, what's happening is, not only is he calling them to affect the community and to establish these standards to transform the culture from paganism to uh, monotheism and worshiping the one true God. But he addresses the conflict in their own character, that every man has a sin nature. We're innately selfish. You know, remember when uh, um, Bill Federer commented, he said, you put, you, you put uh, children in a room and one rattle and one kid's going to take the rattle, right? You put a bunch of, you know, uh, junior high school girls together, one's going to become the diva. Everyone, power concentrates itself, and selfishness concentrates itself, and that's how life is, and we experience that. So we are a people in conflict. And if, and if you say that's not the case, then you don't know the Christian walk. Is there anyone who's had a conflict spiritually where the things that you don't want to do, you did this week? Let's just say today, raise your hand. There you go. And, and, the, and the things that you wanted to do, you didn't do those. Can I get another show of hands? Conflict. And, and the idea of AB 2943, you can go in, but you can't come out. <clears throat> so anyone that is counseling you to say there is another way is no longer permitted. And you silence that. 
But in freedom of speech, which is what's given us the greatest freedom of any nation on the face of the earth, we contend for ideas in the court of public opinion. You don't suppress ideas. You contend with them. This is what's so vile about the law. So we were up there, and we also have AB, uh, or SB 54. We were contending with a number of others, and all violations. Um, I wanted to show you this one real quick um, before we get into, and we stand for the reading of the word, Lord. Um, I was sharing this when I was up there, and I'd gotten the idea from Kevin McGarry, um, and it was in relation to SB 54, which is this idea of a violation of, of you know, federal law and, and the Constitution itself. Um, I want to show you, and this, this passed the California legislature, it's SB, I want to say 415, but I can't remember, and it's a very strict pool ordinance that's required for, how many people in here have a pool or a jacuzzi or a pond that's eight inches deep or more, please raise your hand. Okay. You are, you are possibly liable for manslaughter if you don't abide by these rules. Uh, let me just turn this on here. Now, these are the laws of, 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 the, of the California Senate. This bill passed. Allow people to enter the pool only if accompanied by a responsible adult. Do not leave toys in the pool that could be inviting. And use the word enticing. Everyone say enticing. Because that's the word that will get you uh, manslaughter. Make sure your adult guests supervise children under their care when they visit. Surround the pool with a gated fence at least eight feet high. The gate should be self-closing with latches at least 60 inches high. The pool should be covered and the cover secured when the pool is not in use. Make sure everyone who lives in the house knows how to swim. Okay? So, Friday night, you invite some friends over. You unlock the gate because you're supposed to have the gate locked. This is only, I think, eight of probably 20 requirements. You leave the side gate open because they were going to come through and you don't want them leaving wet and tramping water through your house. So you leave the side gate open, you take the, the cover off, open the gate, they come in, they swim, you're having a great time, you realize how late it is, everyone's leaving. You, you look at your spouse, you say, we're tired, we'll take care of the lockdown later. And you go to bed, but you have to wake up early because you have to take a flight out and you catch a flight, you forget to lock the gate. You're gone for the weekend, you come back and there's a four-year-old boy that has come from the neighbor's lawn, entice, or neighbor's yard, enticed by your pool, went swimming and drowned. You're not just facing li- uh, liability, you are now facing manslaughter charges. Because you enticed the child into your pool. Do you understand this? So 10,000 people are maimed or injured coming to California from the South because we're enticing them because we have no gate. Girls from the ages of eight and up are molested, raped, and sold into sex trafficking because we have no gate. It's unconscionable what we're doing. You're welcome to come and swim in our pool, but you have to go by the rules. You need to know how to swim. Right? You're welcome to be a part of this compact of citizenry, but what's required, and if we really cared... We wouldn't allow them to be maimed, we wouldn't entice them, and we would invite them into this country in such a manner that they wouldn't kill themselves to get here or face what they're facing. And this is one thing that Kevin McGarry put forward, and you know, you, you can do with it as you please. This was his presentation where he speaks of 13% of the, uh, of the population of the United States is, is black, uh, yet 40% of the abortions in California, are, or excuse me, in, in the United States are upon uh, children of color. 
But you break that in half because half of them are men and half are women, so that makes 6% of the population. Then you break it down even more because you want childbearing years. So it really constitutes 3% of the population in the United States is responsible for 40% of the abortions. Margaret Sanger, a eugenicist, put these, you know, it's concentrated in a 5% area. If you really wanted to provide services at large, you'd put them behind Walmarts. But they distinctly put them in inner city communities to decimate. So what they've done is they've, they've wiped out an entire generation of a voting bloc that votes 92% in it to one party's favor, and that entire generation is, is gone, missing. They've got to increase their voting bloc. This is his, his idea. And so they entice. But in that enticement, without a gate, they're coming in and they're being maimed and, and, and murdered and raped and sold into sex trafficking, all for the sake of concentrated power. Now, that doesn't seem so sweet, does it? Does everyone track that? So we're contending for this in a culture that doesn't understand it. And where do you get these ideas from? Because we, we truly search to find what is the solution according to the wisdom of God. All men are created equal and endowed by the creator of certain inalienable rights. Why do we have this country? Because we establish a set of covenants, compact, that we agree. What is the agreement? That all men are created equal and endowed by the creator of certain inalienable rights. I can't do to you what you don't give me permission to do because we're equal. It's consent of the governed. This is why we've experienced so much freedom. That's why everybody wants to come here. We have, we have gates to keep people out, so they have to learn how to swim before they come in. And, and the gates are, are, are to keep people out. In, in other countries where the suppression of freedom, the gates have the guns pointed at their citizens to not let them out. Right? Why are they coming here? Freedom. Where does that freedom come from? It's not a, a, an abstract concept. It's a scriptural concept. Liberty, it's not an abstract concept. It's in the scriptures. And when you develop this, a community flourishes. Corinth needed a shot in the arm. They needed these Christians to get off their pews and do something. And yet they were so consumed with strife, envy, and division and internal fighting. And there's one reason why. Because there's two categories of Christians, and Paul's going to cover three categories of people, two categories of Christians, in the passages we're going to read. One is... A carnal man doesn't know the Lord, man or woman. Two, or natural man, excuse me, natural man. The next is a carnal Christian. And the third is someone who is operating in the spirit. And they're producing fruit. And we're going to see that. Now, before we get into this, I'll just share with you that the, the trip there was remarkable. The day that we gave the testimony, and these folks were up there, every wacko street person showed up. We were doing interviews out front. A woman's holding a pizza, listening. She's walking to her work. She's dressed nicely, holding a pizza, captivated by the conversation, stops to listen as they're interviewing one of these folks. And she's, because this is Sacramento, this, they don't allow this here. And, and she's just listening, like captivated by this testimony of this person who came out of the, the same-sex relationship and as she's listening, this homeless person comes up, whacks the pizza out of her hand, punches her in the stomach, and runs away. And we're all just looking. And, and I'm manning the table for Bill Fetter. Woman comes up just growling, walking back and forth. I'm like, can I help you? What is all this? You know, it's just, I said, it's probably nothing you're interested in. Why don't you move along? Uh, she, you know, she goes along. And, and it, was, it was intense, and the spiritual dimension was intense. And the drive with Bill, I got to spend, what, five, six hours in a car with him. My brain hurts. It's so stretched. 
But this is a man that ran for office twice, once against Dick Gephardt in 2000 and against another in the 3rd Congressional District of Missouri in 2004. Uh, lost by less than a percentage point in each election. Absolute massive voter fraud. Uh, Dick Gephardt ended up suing him because he took a cameraman that would follow him. We had this in the assembly, the camera guys that would follow you. And he pushed in real tough and pushed Bill with his camera, making it look like Bill pushed him. And as you go frame by frame, you can see it wasn't the case. Bill w- w- you know, what wanted to prosecute it went forward, cost him an enormous amount of money. He's not a rich man to begin with. And when you run campaigns, you're just broke and you're exhausted and they file forms and they you know, go after you and they make running for office a, a criminal offense. But Bill is contending and contending, and he's just so steadfast. His family's been affected by it. Finance has been affected. Doesn't do it once, but does it twice. Both times ripped off and cheated by voter fraud. Uh, But what ends up happening is this cameraman in the court of law, he finally gets an attorney who was the... You guys ever see The Great Escape with Steve McQueen? Remember that? The guy who'd throw the ball against the wall? That man ended up being an attorney in Missouri that the story was based after. And that guy is respected all through Missouri, takes Bill's case, not even a Christian. Bill actually led him to the Lord before he died. Takes the case and defends Bill. And in this court of law, as they're prosecuting Bill, he asks the cameraman, he says, who employs you? He says, well, I'm employed by the, the congressman's office. So you're a government employee. Yes, I am. And, and you, were, you were at a campaign event filming a campaign event on behalf of the congressman as a government employee. Yes, I was. That's a violation of federal law. The minute they hear that, they know they're in trouble. The next day, uh, Gephardt resigns. And let me just tell you who Gephardt was. He was the Nancy Pelosi. He was the minority whip. He resigned over that whole thing. Uh, and the next election, the voter fraud so bad, all Jefferson County's ballots were held in a basement that the whole thing was crazy. Um, and, and as they go to prosecute it, and there's all kinds of federal statutes that they violated, bills out of money. He gets a 40-year-old attorney who is just unbelievable, hears this, comes out to help. Uh, and they, they file it. They're getting ready to move forward. And the next day, they find this 40-year-old single guy, healthy as an ox, dead in his hotel room. Can't designate how he died. Aneurysm, stroke, heart attack, corner of the opposing party, didn't want to pursue it, just let it go. And, and the things that Bill faced and his family faced, and on and on and on. Now, you look at Missouri, the entire state's changed. And it's all a result of one man who stepped in to make a difference. He almost lost his family, almost lost everything. But he fought. And he fought for a state that's turned, just like Paul's fighting for a, a, a city in Corinth. And, and it's never going to be accomplished with carnal Christians. You know what fruit is? It's what we produce that feeds others, inspires others, nourishes others. And, and Paul has to get them out of the pews. And, what, and, and we're going to take a look at it. And we're going to go through this. So that's a long introduction, man. All right. Lord, thank you for this evening, and we ask your blessing on the study of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, let's stand for the reading of the word, Lord. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians. We'll pick up at verse 11. Or 1 Corinthians, excuse me. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. <laughs> I'm tired. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of a man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but with the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. 
But the natural man, and this is, this is the earthly man, the non-Christian, but the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. That's, that's a healthy Christian. I'll explain that momentarily. And I just want to repeat that. Who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. I'll explain that. And it's going to really encourage you, I pray tonight. Verse 3, or excuse me, yeah, no, chapter 3. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food. For until now, you were not able to receive it. And even now, you're still not able, for you're still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For one says, I'm of Paul, another, I'm of Apollos. Are you not carnal? Who then is Paul? Who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So that'll be our passage. Lord, again, we ask your blessing on the study of your word. Prepare hearts to receive all that you'd have for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, relax. Not too much. Now, you remember in the beginning when Paul is addressing the church at Corinth, he says, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, and that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those in Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. And he goes through this whole deal of I am of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas, I'm of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? And he goes on to say, I didn't baptize any of you. And that's not the point. He, did, he says, Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And then Paul goes on to say, we preach Christ crucified. And that was the, the emphasis of the apostle Paul to the entire church at Corinth. And then he says at the conclusion of chapter 1, he says, But of him you were in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. So Paul's addressing this church that is imploding, it's a mess, and he goes through this whole picture, and he takes this, this uh, look, and I want to see where I am here. He says in verses uh, 13 and 14, These things we also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but with the whole, which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with, with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. So the first person I want to look at tonight is this idea of a carnal man, uh, the natural man. And, and I, I, I brought some verses um, in relation to the natural man, but I wanted to read to you some thoughts of other authors Though latent within every child of God is the possibility of reproducing the character of Jesus Christ, the fact is that this is not always accomplished. And he goes through this idea of the natural man, and he says, um, or, or the Apostle Paul says in Romans 6, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with Christ. Ephesians 4.22, that we are to put off the former things and the conversations of the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. And then Paul characterizes the natural man in Ephesians chapter 2. And this is King James, because Chuck Smith liked it, where in the time past he walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now wor worketh 
in the children of disobedience. In times past, our lifestyle was to live after the lusts of our flesh as we sought to fulfill the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were, children, uh, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, chapter, uh, verse, or chapter 4 of Ephesians, that you no longer walk as the heathens walk in the emptiness of their mind, having the understanding darkened. They're alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. And then verse 19 of chapter 4 of Ephesians, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lasciviousness, uh, to live sexually immoral lives as they are controlled by their greed. Then Paul wrote to the church at Colossae. He said in Colossians chapter 3, Therefore put to death your fleshly earthly nature that is marked by fornication, sexual impurity, lust, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. It is because of these things that the wrath of God is coming on the children of disobedience. This is the way you used to walk when you lived in them. This is the way you used to walk when you lived in them. This is the way you... Uh-oh. AB 2943. Tracking me? Lie not to one another, seeing that you have put off the old man and his deeds. And then Peter writes, well, I'll just skip that. The point is this. The carnal man that Paul is speaking to here, he's saying that the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit for their foolishness to him. So they, they come up and they say, you know, um, how about the, the pygmy in Africa who's never heard the gospel? They're not interested in a, a spiritual conversation as much as they are in judging God. Right? They, they want to judge God and they want to prove themselves right. I remember when I first became a Christian, I'm sitting on a, a bus coming back from San Diego City College and a, a man takes my, he goes, what are you reading that junk for? And I'm, I'm, I was just reading the Bible for the first time in the Christian. He takes it and he goes, look at this. And he turns here and he says, uh, read that. And I read it. And he flips page. He says, read that. And he goes, contradiction. He goes, turn there. Read that. Flips over. Read that. Contradiction. Contradiction. Uh, I'm just spinning like, wow, what is this? What is this? I look back and I think, man, that was a plan, you know? I went back later and studied to show myself approved unto God. A workman need not be ashamed, rightly dividing over truth. I started to realize in context, every one of those things was totally legit and cover to cover. The thing doesn't contradict itself. It's amazing. I was blown away by it. I was grateful that he did that because it challenged me. But it was the Spirit of the Lord yearning in my heart to examine those things. He drew me to that. The natural man has no concern with the things of God. He is his own God. And, and unless God moves, we can bring the Lord, we can present Christ, but only God can put Christ in the human heart, which separates Christianity from every religion in the world. The, God, the living God dwells in us. We're a brand new nature. Now, it's contending with the, the flesh, and we're always going to have these challenges, as the Apostle Paul says in, in Romans 7, those things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, those I do. There's that battle going on. And thank goodness we have access to truth that we can examine it and our lives can be transformed by it. But we're going to have a city of Corinth where people will want to shut that down and they're going to have their own selfish desires and want to concentrate power. So latent in every person, uh, this character of Jesus Christ to those who've received him, and, and yet we can still move from being the natural man into a Christian, and we have this concept that you've heard me say often, and it's scriptural, this idea of justification, just as if I'd never sinned. If you believe in your heart, confess with your tongue, Jesus is Lord, you will be saved, and you become a temple of the Holy Spirit. God takes up residence in your life, and he changes you from the inside out. God catches his fish before he cleans them, Right? 
So he comes in you and he begins to work out of you. And that comes by us dying and him living, us dying and relying, dying and relying. And he says, Rob, this needs to go. Rob, that needs to go. And then you get that and it's gone. And then this comes back and Rob, it's got to go again. And, and, and you're, you're burdened by it. Has anyone ever said, I swear to God, I'll never do that again? Could you raise your hand? Come on. I'm not kidding. Has anyone ever said, I swear to God, I'll never do it again? Has anyone ever done it again? Please raise your hand. Go, you're, what kind of a room is this? So it comes back, right? So what are we? Well, this is the spiritual man. The spiritual man that Paul speaks of is he says right here, but the natural man does not receive it. But look at above. Uh, These things we also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but in the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. He talks about this carnal man that can't receive it. But then he goes on to say, but he who is spiritual judges all things, yet himself is rightly judged by no one. Oh, wait a minute. What does that mean? What does Romans 8, 1 say? Somebody say it loud. There's now therefore no condemnation. That's actually a period in the original Greek. They didn't have punctuation, but it's supposed to end there. There's now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then it goes on to say, don't walk according to flesh. No, there's now therefore no condemnation. Why are you and I righteous? Meaning right before God. Why, why do we have this relationship? Why does he take up residence in our life? Why? What makes us righteous? Okay, let's raise our hand because I'm not getting anything clear. Yes, Michelle. Christ's blood cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Good call. So we're justified. You had a, Gail, you wanted to add something? It's all right. Right. So he took our sin and gave us his righteousness. Are you righteous because of the things you do? You're righteous because of what he did. Thus, he who is spiritual judges all things, yet himself is rightly judged by no one. You're drinking coffee. That's a sin. I'm just making it up. I don't know what you're drinking. This is the church of of no caffeine. You're out. Because our righteousness is based on what we do, and the righteous do not use amphetamines. (laughs) I've had quite a bit myself today, as you can tell. (laughs) Is that right? Don't drink, smoke, or chew, or hang around with those who do. Your Bible's not big enough. Your, your coat's not right. You don't, you're not walking that way. You're, you're not allowed to smoke. You're not allowed to have Coca-Cola. You're not allowed to sound familiar. You, all these things don't make us righteous, do they? So when someone comes up to judge you, what does that say? I only have one master. That's the Lord, and he deems me what? Who's the accuser of the brethren? Has anyone, I already know the answer. The sin looks so enticing and you've had a hard day and you need a little me time. Or, or someone snaps at you and you snap back and you say, 
They said this. It's only natural. Is that a good turn? It's only natural that I would respond that way. Yeah, it is, carnal, <laughs> flesh. And, and what's, what's natural? We take matters into our own hands. We don't give it to the Lord. Instead of dying to ourselves and relying on Christ, we, we know what we're going to get with the sin. We know at least, I, I know, it's, I, I know, I know, and I know it leaves me further off down than in what, you know, and, and promises to pick me up, but I'm further down. Than, but I know what I'm getting. And so I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to do it. And then the minute you do it, and, and the whole time you're telling me, well, God's going to forgive me. He's already forgiven me. I mean, I'm saved by grace through faith. I mean, I got my get out of free card. I can do that. And the minute you do it, what happens? I guess I'm the only one who's ever gone through this. What happens? Condemnation. That voice comes in. You are pathetic. God doesn't want anything to do with you. You are the biggest loser on the planet. You might as well just quit. Just get lost. I have to tell you the condemnation I went through up in Sacramento Every time I know something big is happening, that voice is slamming me. Slamming me. Paralyzing me. I have to come back to this. The only one who is my master who can judge me is Jesus Christ, and he judges me righteous. Get behind me, Satan. Do you know how freeing that is? I would not be able to stand behind this podium on a Sunday if that verse weren't true. I don't know about you, but that's pretty freeing. Now, that's a spiritual man who understands those concepts, a spiritual man or woman who understands those concepts. Who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. You know what's telling me that I can stand here you know what's telling me that I can keep moving? You know what tells me that I'm more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus? That no weapon fashioned against me? That there's no condemnation? That God has forgiven me? That is, my righteousness is in him and he's in me? That he's, do you know what is instructing me? The Holy, the Holy Spirit, the mind of Christ. It is, it is the word of God. And that's maturity. Everyone in the room, I'll tell you what comes really easy to all of you. It's very easy. This is so natural to us. It's like you are, you are unbelievably skilled in this world. You have such a gift in this area. You, you are at the highest levels. You could be a CEO of a company if it produced this. You are that good. It's so natural to you. I mean, if it was a talent show, you'd win. And the thing that you're really good at is sin. It's your nature. But we're a new creature in Christ, the oldest past, the newest. But we're not dead, but we're supposed to die to ourselves and rely on Christ. Die to ourselves. How do we rely? By His Word. In those moments where sin becomes the exception, not the rule, and we see that, we want to continue because what, this, what Satan wants to do is alienate us and lie to us and tell us God doesn't want anything to do with us. What lifts us out of that condemnation? His Word. What puts us back on our feet and moving forward in the midst of battle, even though we're afraid? His Word. He hasn't given us a spirit of fear. He hasn't given us condemnation. We keep moving. And so what happens? The natural man wants to react. Would you stand up? Please forgive me. I would have slapped him, but, but the natural man wants to react, and you're being sweet about it, but our initial is push back, right? I wasn't going to push hard. You can sit down. Thanks. 
The natural man wants to react. The Bible says, hold every thought captive to the mind of Christ. When you're offended, when you're hurt, can you offend a dead man? No, you can't offend a dead man. And so we want to react, which is carnal, it's natural. But when we respond, responding is taking the, the doing virtues and applying the thinking virtues, right? And the thinking virtue is the word of God. Let the mind that was in Christ Jesus be in you. As the word richly dwells in you, you don't react, you respond. How do you respond? By the word of God. Hold every thought captive to the mind of Christ. What is the mind of Christ? The word of God. And so you don't react, you respond. Hey, what does the Bible say when somebody slaps you? Give him the other cheek. What does the flesh say? Slap him back. And put some jewelry in it. Yes? So this is the picture of the Christian that the only, the, the only master he has is the Lord and the maturity is not that we're sinless, but that when we fail, it's captured by the mind of Christ that keeps us moving forward, keeps us moving forward. What happens is this. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people I wanted to address this issue tonight that you're saved by grace through faith and that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus and that we don't react, we respond. But the problem is, I can't speak to you as spiritual people, but as to carnal, as babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you still are not able. The only reason why you can respond instead of react is because the word of God richly dwells in you. You turn the other cheek, you know that scripture. Why are we memorizing them? So you have the mind of Christ. And if the only feeding you're getting is the preparation I did is I got the formula today and I took it out of the packet and I poured it into the bottle and I mixed it with purified water and I shook it up and today is the only day in the week and thank God you're coming for two feedings because I'm praying that you're here for Sunday and I'm sticking that bottle in your mouth and you're sucking on it and that's the only feeding you're getting because you're not opening the word the other days. You're not abiding in the word the other days. You're not allowing the mind of Christ to cause you to, to respond instead of react. And instead, you're a babe. Now, what's interesting about babies? This is one of those things that I got a kick out of. I want to read this to you. It's this idea of perpetual defeat. We rejoice in the forgiveness of sins, but we find no power in the principle of sin, uh, any power over the principle of sin in our life. We got to get out of a free card, but we are still neck deep in sin. And we're paralyzed of doing anything for the kingdom. There's no fruit in our life. The mark of a carnal Christian is that he is living a life of protracted infancy and retarded growth. Paul said, I fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are you able. Alan Redpath says, what are the characteristics of a baby? In the first place, he's absolutely dependent upon other people. He cannot walk, he has to be helped up, he cannot feed himself, another has to feed him, and he's only happy, really happy, when he is the center of attention or interest. 
So it is with a carnal Christian. He is always leaning on other people, always seeking this preacher and that leader for spiritual counsel. He cannot walk by himself. He always has to be propped up. He cannot feed himself either. His minister is a kind of spiritual milk bottle that feeds him on Sunday, Wednesdays, but that's not you guys. But that is all he or she gets. He or she has not learned to feed themselves upon the word of God and therefore does not grow spiritually. Uh, They want to be the center of interest and they're very sensitive and touchy and quickly angered if they're criticized. They constantly display the marks of protracted infancy and retarded growth. You live a life of fruitlessness and worldliness and somebody always has to blow sunshine your way. And you're always the one in the church insulted or hurt and you're letting everybody know it. Babies are cute, aren't they? And that's, I have, I have no problem with that picture. A bottle in the mouth of a baby. And there's just something fun about feeding them. And they are the center of attention. You're just, you can't stop looking at them. They're adorable, right? I mean, look at that. Just those little ham hocks, you just want to squeeze them. Do not laugh at this next video. It's tragic. And what you're about to see is what happens when the word of God doesn't affect a community. The video you're about to see is of a man. It's tragic. The reason why he is the way he is is up until the age of 10, he had been molested and beaten. His parents divorced. He didn't have any memory prior to the age of 10. No memory. And periodically he'll get pictures, but he's so disassociated. It's almost like looking at pictures in a photo album of people you don't know, but he sees it. That's me. And those pictures that come to him are vile. He's been put in psych wards. He was abandoned by his parents. He's been beaten up, spit on, uh, broken bones. His back was, all kinds of terrible things happened to him through the course of his life. And as a result, it's a coping mechanism comes from PTSD uh, he's on full disability from the state, uh, and he just continues in this realm. Can't hold a job. And nowhere in the course of this has anyone ever shared with him the Lord until recently, and I'll share the story at the end. Take a look at the video. It's very tragic. No laughing. Everybody needs a bottle in the morning, but since babies can't drink coffee, I have my juice. Yay, Handy Manny is on. It's my favorite show. Yeah. <laughs> I like coloring because it's just relaxing to color stuff in. And you don't really have to follow the rules because you can color it whatever you want. An adult baby is somebody who enjoys dressing up and acting like a baby. And it could be as young as, you know, you want to be a six month old or you can go up to two or three years old. It's whatever that feels right for you. I associate most with being two years old because I think it's the best of both worlds. 
you're young enough to still be able to use a crib and a bottle and diapers and all that stuff, but you're also still old enough that you can get around on your own and talk and tell people what you want. Ah, refreshing. You want a drink? Not very many adult babies get a chance to have AB furniture, and I'm definitely one of the few. This is my custom-made crib. Took me about a week to build it and a couple days to paint it. It's my favorite piece of adult baby furniture to play with. Well, I've got my diaper changing materials nice and close. I've got my puppy dog mobile. I've got my lion guard bed sheets. And I've got my ocean wonders aquarium. And then I got my, my cat here keeping my bed warm. Some people will ask, do I, do I actually use the diapers? And yes, I use the diapers. Uh, being incontinent, you're going to be in diapers, and these are my usual ones. But when I'm role-playing, I love wearing my Tykables. These things are just adorable. The animals, good absorbency, so you're, you stay nice and dry while you're out playing. When I have to make a number two, it's in the toilet. And no, I don't sit in a wet diaper all day long. But of course, I've got mine on. I'm staying dry. Some of my favorite adult baby activities would be uh, playing with my, my uh, Duplo Legos. It's relaxing to play with, with the Legos. I can forget about what's going on and pretend I'm a kid again and have fun. You can build anything you're, you can imagine. And don't like it anymore you can take it apart and build something else it's a spacecraft it could take off i like playing with my activity book and drawing and coloring and i sometimes stay in the lines it depends what i'm doing if i want to be a toddler then i switch to my other hand and <laughs> it's not so good <laughs> I like lots of colors, but I like green the best. It's like the same color as grass and trees. I love climbing trees, they're fun. A lot of people, when they first meet me or hear about me online, they assume that I'm an adult baby all day long. That's all I do is lay in my crib. And the reality is I do it about an hour or two in the morning and about an hour in the evening. The rest of the day, I'm like everybody else. <laughs> For me, getting into a, being an adult baby is kind of a complicated subject. I got into it for two reasons. The first was because I started wetting the bed when I was 13, and the diapers were a way to keep it dry. But I also got into it around the same time even more as a way to cope with the child abuse that was going on. For me, with the diapers, it just kind of became that safeness. And it's not sexual. It's all about just the safeness of being a child again. It was as a baby, you're safe and protected, you're loved. And that became what they meant for me. You know, everything is very friendly and, and safe. And it's just about being that two-year-old. That's odd. Yeah. And, you know, that, that's arrested development. That's, that's retarded growth. That, 
that is a, a somebody who has an inability to, to, to take care of anyone else. Is that how God intended us to be? Now, I have sympathy. I have empathy. I, I, my heart breaks. But is that the answer? Is there hope for a human being like that? Can we change that? Can God change it, I should say? But wait a minute. It's a violation of his rights. How do you change Corinth? Lives have to be touched. It wasn't until he's now 37 years of age. He hasn't heard the gospel in 37 years until this last year. And he's been an atheist his whole life. And now he's starting to realize, and this is an old video, he's starting to realize that there's hope beyond this. This is, this is the way the world copes with things. It's not what God intends for us. Um, it says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual wickedness in the high places. And then Philippians 4, 7 says, that the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard our heart and our mind in Christ Jesus. So the Christian, the Christian understands that life is awful. And it doesn't mean that we won't have conflict and trial and we won't get hurt. Everyone in the room, let's just do it again. How many people in the room have been deeply hurt? Raise your hands. Can God heal the brokenhearted? Can he redeem and restore the years of locusts have eaten? If he can't, then his, his word is a lie. Are we new creatures in Christ? It's only the spiritual man who realizes this is a battle to keep me in the pew. Not to contend. Because the spiritual man the spiritual man, interestingly enough, um, the spiritual man doesn't practice sin. It's still there, but it's not habitual. Romans 8.37 says, In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 2 Corinthians 2.14, Thanks be unto God who causes us to triumph continually in Christ. We don't glory in our success. We glory in what God's done and we keep our mind on him. The Lord will keep the imperfect peace whose mind is steadfast on thee. In the midst, I like this, Alan Redpath says, in the midst of the testings of life, deep down in his heart, there is peace. He's drawing upon infinite resources that are sufficient to strengthen him and keep him, to enable him to walk with God. Day by day, he re responds to troubles instead of reacts, misunderstandings and heartaches. His actions all glorify the Lord. But the, the third mark, I would say, or, or one of the telling marks of a spiritual non-carnal Christian, and pay attention to this, John fifteen sixteen, Jesus said, I have chosen you and ordained you that you would bring forth fruit and that your fruit would remain. So you know you're spiritual when you're producing fruit. A baby doesn't produce anything but waste. A baby can't make a meal for itself. 
A baby can't feed anyone else. A baby's the center of attention. A baby is completely self-focused and dependent. Needs to be propped up. Got to put pillows. Funny video, but you know. And they cry at all hours. They're selfish. They're self-consumed. Yes? That's a carnal Christian. You're babes. I have to prepare the milk for you. I'm not saying, this is what Paul's saying. I'm not saying about you. And, and what results in someone who is self-centered and selfish? You don't get your way. What, what happens if a baby doesn't get what it wants? It cries. It doesn't care what hour it is. It's all about the baby. So Paul's pointing out, this is you guys. Yeah, you've been born, you've been fed with the milk, but you're still so consumed with yourself that someone else has to prop you up, someone else has to take care of you. You're not, you're not producing fruit. You're eating someone else's fruit and their labor. I, I had a, I was up in Sacramento. I'll share this, we've got a little bit of time. I'm sitting at the table manning Bill Federer's books because he went home. I'm sitting there, and two of these ladies who I'd met, older ladies, they're with the Eagle Forum, and they were at the event, and this guy's with them, and he's running against a state senator who's the one responsible for the uh, inoculations, Pan. Terrible state senator. I I hope somebody beats him. It's not going to be this guy. And they come up, and they say, we want you to meet so-and-so. I'm like, hey, how you doing? And right away, he's giving me a sob story. You know, I'm pastor. I'm going to really need to speak in front of your church, and I need you to get me in front of other... Um, I, 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 they didn't put my name on the ballot. It's a violation of the state law. And da, 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 da. he's going through this whole thing. And I'm like, oh. you get all these people every time you go there. And if you have some sort of connection to anything, they, they want to bend your ear. And it's a line of people at events like this. And you got to sift through them. And you have to have discernment. And he's going on and on. And I'm trapped at the table because I can't leave. I've got to man the books. And he's, he's just talking. And these women wanted to recommend me to him. And, and then they walk away. And I'm like, Thanks. And he's, he's going through this thing, and I go, hey, hey, buddy, listen, I am tired, and you're going to have to land this plane because I am not tracking you. And he goes, okay, okay, I'll come to the point. The point is I, I need to get in front of his man. I go, you know what? I, I said, I've run four campaigns. I've won three. I'm going to ask you two questions. How much money have you raised, and how many people do you have walking houses and making calls for you? I haven't had time to develop that. I said, it's May. What do you, what do you mean you haven't? Well, and, okay, how much time do you spend a day on the phones raising money? Well, I, I, I believe in this and this. I didn't ask you what you believe in. You may have all these conservative principles, but you're lazy. You're asking me to do your work. I'm not interested. He said, that's audacious. I can't believe that you would offend a brother like that. I said, it's not audacious. It's honest. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. I have no interest in investing in you and propping you up, and you're not doing your work. You're not a candidate. You're bringing a knife to a gunfight. Do you know that that guy is going to, he's going to mop the floor with you? You count the cost before you enter in. Don't ask anyone else to engage in something you're not willing to do the hard work for. I'm so tired of, of people saying they, they fulfill all the conservative you know, qualifications of a candidate. How much money have you raised? I'm not interested. What's the team you've put together? I'm not interested. It's hard work. I hate to make phone calls. So did I. I don't, I hate that. I I hate it. But you do the hard thing. Listen, 
you give it a, a rest and go home. Hit him next round and prepare now to take him out next time. But don't come to us to do your heavy lifting. And I prayed with him and he irritated me. What, what's my point? You're in the body of Christ. You're either producing fruit or you're eating someone else's. For you're still carnal. For there, where there's envy, strife, division among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. You know what you're doing? You're whining in your crib. You, I, I'm saying the church. Please, I gotta be careful. I love you guys. You're amazing. Best church on the face of the earth. I'm speaking theoretically. You tracking me? I am of Paul. I'm of Apollos. The only thing you can do is you're not out there working. You're inside causing division because this is easy. You're not planting trees. You're tearing them apart. You eat, the, you eat the meat, spit out the bones, and, and you endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Give me 30 seconds, I can five, find 100 things wrong with this church. Give me 30 seconds, I can find 20 things wrong with you. Give you five seconds, you can find 1,000 things wrong with me. Right? Because the room is filled with everyone who raised their hand earlier. And you didn't even get through a course of a day with your patheticness. <laughs> and I'm standing here by the grace of God, mind you. But we're not judged in condemnation, right? We're inspired by what he's done for us and it's our, it's our adoration that causes us to obey because we're saved by grace through faith. Blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. We know how much, it, how much we need it so we're so committed to giving it, right? I'll, I'll leave you with two thoughts and then I'll close it up. You guys have heard the story. Some haven't. Uh, in the campaign, I'd had the chance to meet a number of folks from the LDS, the Mormons. They were really sweet and they invited me to go to their dedication of their school of religion at the Claremont College, school of Mormon religion at Claremont College. Christian pastors are saying, you know, you shouldn't be involved with them, their cult, their da-da-da-da, on and on and on. And condemnation from the church, and they're judging me. And I'm out in the community trying to have an effect. And, and I have one master, it's the Lord. And I know he's called me, so thank you. Here's what you're doing, here's what you need to be doing. Just, the Lord's giving me peace, God bless you, I'm on my way. So I go on this trip, I'm in a car with four high-ranking LDS folks. And one in particular is like grilling me, proselytizing. And I'm in the car, and I, and I know all this. Michelle and I have witnessed to the elders that have come to the door and a bunch of stuff. I mean, we've, we've had really neat. And I, I know the Christology. I know the history. I know all of it. I know where it breaks down. I know it. Sitting and let them doing it. Just rolling with it. Oh, yeah. Oh. I'm not reacting. I'm just praying. And then we get there. And, and, and there's the dedication is one of the apostles. So to meet a living apostle in the LDS is remarkable. 
Most Mormons never get a chance to meet one. I've met two or three, I think, three. And the one I met that night is now the second in command of all of it. So when this guy dies, he's it. He is the, the kahuna. His name's Elder Oaks. And at the end of his presentation on religious liberty, uh, he concludes, he's in his 80s, and all the more, and I'm the only one, I got there late, I'm the only one who wasn't in a suit. Thank God I had a blazer. They seat me near the front. They'd been saving seats in this packed auditorium. At the conclusion of it, all these Mormons come forward to meet an apostle. He's not seeing anyone. One of the head guys in the Western states walks across the stage. He sees me and he waves at me like this. And I turn to these guys, I go, let's go. And he goes, no, 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 just you. I'm like, oh, okay. So I start walking up there. You know, Moses parting the Red Sea. I walk through this sea of people, all of them looking at me. He doesn't have a tie. And Elder Oaks summons me. I go up the stage, walk over to him, and he says, I've been so longing to meet you. And I said, well, Elder Oaks, I have to be candid. Before today, I didn't know who you were. He says, that's okay. I I know who you are. I just finished testifying before the Mexican Senate because the Mexican Constitution doesn't allow clergy to run for office. And they wanted to hear from a hierarchical religious system like ours, similar to the Catholic Church, as to why we should. And I testified, and I used you as an example. I said, wow, I'm honored. He says, no, I'm honored. Well, thank you so much. Pleasure to meet you. You too. Walk down. And everyone's looking at me. Who is he? We get in the car on the drive back, and they're all mesmerized. Ooh, wow. And in the car ride back, no more proselytizing. It's my turn. And I said, you know, fellas, I so enjoy you guys. This has been such a wonderful trip. And I mean that, and I did. They're really lovely, lovely men. And I said, you guys do these interfaith things, and all the Unitarians show up in the Baha'i faith, and, and you know, their congregations have like three people in it, and you're really trying to reach a community, and nobody shows up, and you can't get any evangelicals at your interfaith deals. I'm the only guy who showed up. And they're like, yeah. I go, and I know your desires to want to reach the evangelical community. They go, yeah. And I said, I'm going to help you reach them. Really? They're like, let's take copious notes. I said, here's how you reach the evangelical community. Now pay attention. I'm going I'm to give you the insight. This is the secret. I said, you guys totally understand sanctification. Sanctification means holiness. You're set apart. You guys are clean vessels. I've watched your lives from a distance and up close, and you're the real deal. The way you live your life, the way you run your finances, the way you operate in community, I have tested you, I've pushed you, I've seen you in tough situations. You're amazing that way. And I said, let me give you an example of sanctification. I told him a story about the the coffee mug, my favorite, drinking it, latte, tomato plant, go out and tie it up. I put my cup up on the cinder block wall, phone call, distracted. The plant grows up, blocks the cup, harvests the tomatoes, the plant dies. I go out there, I see my coffee cup. Hey, there it is, my favorite coffee cup from Cyprus. I take it down, filled with mold, all the cream, just nasty. Still my favorite cup, unfit for the master's use. Tracking me? I had to clean it, now I can use it. I said, you guys are fit for the master's use. And you hear this, "Mm, yeah, great illustration, thank you. I said, but here is where you need to reach the evangelicals that you don't get. And they're like, okay. I said, you guys got sanctification down, but you're missing a really important word. 
It's in the scriptures. It's called justification. We just covered that. Just as if I'd never sinned, past, present, future, saved by grace through faith, gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. The confidence of that, that when your elders come to my door wanting to sell me something, I got something that's way better. They're saying, you can end up in one of three heavens. I know that when I'm absent from the body, I'll be present with the Lord because I'm righteous, not because of what I've done, but because of what he's done. You guys just, you got a bad product. I said, justification, just as if I'd never sinned. I said, it produces grace. But the problem is, you guys got sanctification down. We got justification down. You don't have sanctification down or justification down. And the evangelical community stinks at sanctification. Because we get our get out of hell free card and we're all carnal. And we don't do anything. Because when I ran for office, you guys walked with me. You brought me into your, your churches. None of the pastors here did. You did. You want to reach this community. You're pushing it. You're moving. You're clean and you step into the civic arena and you, and you, you plant trees and, and you show up and you do our buildings. You get it. Our people are pew potatoes. They've got their get out of hell free card and they don't care. And they get grace. But they don't get works. They don't do works to be saved. They're supposed to do it because they're saved and they don't. They're arrested. And their growth is retarded. Because it's all about milk. And I said, but here's what comes with justification that you don't have. I told them a story about one of their bishops. I said, one of your bishops called me. And they've got a number of bishops, so they wouldn't know who it was. And I said, and they called me, and they asked if I could borrow 15, if they could borrow $1,500. I told your bishop, I don't, I don't loan money. I give it. Come on by. Crying, weeping, desperately in need of it. They said, thank you. Called again a little bit later and asked, was it 2500 Maybe? Yeah, 2500 said, well, we don't, we don't loan it. We give it. Uh, thank you. Later, they paid it back. And I said, I just got a question for you that'll help you understand the evangelical community. Why did he call me and not you? Because he knew that he wouldn't find condemnation from me. He'd find grace and mercy. With you, he'd only find judgment. Because his cup's not clean. And I said, you want to know what would be really cool? Worldwide Church of God, Herbert W. Armstrong. It was a centrally designed hierarchical church system that was unorthodox. He died. His son took over. He made one correction and the entire cultic organization became orthodox overnight. And I said, you four guys, you're going to be rising because you're cream. And when you get there, one degree, and it becomes orthodox overnight. And can you imagine if your sanctification combined with our justification, what a powerhouse we'd be? And you could hear an audible groan in the car. Now, I could have been offended by them proselytizing me. I could have contended with them. I could have argued with them. I could have hated them. I could have ostracized them. I could have done a number of things. 
But I had to remember that I'm not the one who's going to win him and I don't get a notch in my belt. Has anyone ever heard me tell you who I've ever saved or led to the Lord? I don't need a notch. Who saves? Who gives the increase? Who gets the glory? That's what fruit looks like. Mm, Santa Rosa plums. Mm. That's a tree laden with fruit. Fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You know what's amazing about that orange tree? Hans Stope and I fasted for 15 days. We were starving. It was the end of the 15 days. We couldn't get into the house because Michelle was gone and I forgot, I forgot my key. We went in the backyard and that orange tree was there. It looked just like that. Hans, I think he ate 11 oranges. <laughs> he was so sick. And they were so good. Here's how a tree produces fruit. It takes the sustenance of the soil, the nutrients of God's word. It comes into the strength of the trunk in its maturity, not in its infancy. As it grows, it pushes all those nutrients out, exerts them. And as it pours into that fruit and makes it enticing and beautiful with all the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, God, inside is the seed of duplication and it's crying out to the world and they come to you and instead of them feeding you, you feed them. And it's a lot of hard work and labor and the seed is implanted and given and that's, that fruit that you produce is when you deny yourself, you pick up your cross, you die and rely, Christ comes through in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And that, that is a productive Christian, not a carnal, bottle-fed, arrested development baby doing nothing. Right? One is really cute, and I love it when there's a brand new Christian they're just, they're amazed at the world. <laughs> Sin has been lifted. This is so cool. Praise the Lord. And then after a while, they don't get into the word. And they just shrivel. That's the water of life. It's the soil. It's, whose leaf does not wither. He produces his fruit in season. Whatever he does will prosper. That is what Paul is calling the church at Corinth to Otherwise, it's just strife, envy, and division because we're just babies screaming in our crib because we want to be the center of attention.